Welcome to the Conduit Deeper Podcast, a podcast that takes a deep dive into the details that surround our current sermon series. From current events to fascinating finds to conversations that take us deeper into the Word. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to our Deeper Podcast. My name is Mo, campus pastor at Conduit Church, joined with our lead pastor, Darren Tyler, after a couple-week hiatus. It's kind of weird, huh? I'm, I'm getting my podcasting legs back under me. <laughs> we took a couple weeks off uh, for Easter and everything that went into that, which was an incredible weekend for our Conduit Church family. And uh, and we're, so we're back. Yeah. Well rested. And I suppose I probably should tell people I had a little medical procedure like you did. last Wednesday. Yeah. I had my face lifted and <laughs> tucked. My, my eyes tucked. And, oh, I wish that's what it was. <laughs> no. I, Apparently, I guess without like grossing anybody out, like apparently when you travel as much as I have and have lived in, eaten third world countries as much as I have, you eventually have things that it, that could go wrong in your insides. Some intestinal situations yeah. that need remedied. Yeah. And it, you know, turns out that, like I'm not sure what all they did. They definitely surgically removed my dignity. Like I, they left that behind. Like wherever my dignity was, it, it, it got flushed down <laughs> It's sitting in a something in a uh, in a trash can somewhere at Vanderbilt Hospital. Yeah, and I feel like I need to warn you, young Mo. Like nobody told me this stuff when you're younger, forty years old. Like warn you that things can go wrong in your body that you don't even know could happen. And with how do we say this delicately? It's 2022. And there are some parts of your body that they can only look at the old-fashioned way. <laughs> and so the irony of me saying delicately uh, is not really what that... So they're saying there were scopes involved. There were scopes. Cameras in, uh, in possibly uh, and, uh, areas and, that shouldn't be. And uh, like a whole team of people. Like, <laughs> I'm being wheeled into this room by this um, anesthesiologist... Uh, who could for sure beat me up? Like I, she was t- she was mean. Um, like she scolded a couple of the nurses when we walked in there. She's barking at them, uh, which I'm thinking, okay, she's on my side. I want her on my side. Uh, but but yeah, we roll into this room and it's like this must be what it feels like to be abducted by aliens and probed because I'm. It's this super well lit. There's like six people, um, and they're all working like they're gonna put a roof on me. Like, right. You know what I mean? <laughs> Their lifting legs yeah. are rolling me over. They're like, you know, barking at this one and that one. And uh, the last thing I remember was uh, Marge, let's say her name was Marge, uh, telling me, okay, I'm going to make you go to sleep now. And this wonderful feeling of peace coming over me as I'm like, oh, this feels really good. I want this. Is, no wonder Michael Jackson was doing this. Like, this felt amazing. And the next thing I know, I woke up and like, I wasn't in pain, but I definitely felt like something unnatural had happened. Do you know what I mean? Like, this something had not that wasn't natural has happened to my body, and oh, uh, and apparently I got to go back and do it again. So I don't remember no. this conversation. I don't remember no. much of it, but I got to go back and do something else down there. I'm like, oh, that's terrible. Could we not have like you know we're already in the transmission? Why don't we go ahead and you know fix the like, the cracked heads or whatever? I don't know what they're doing down there, but alternator. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I walked it off and. Well, this We're is back. your 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 uh, your reasonable sacrifice uh, for uh, for going abroad. Well, so I was thinking, I was reading that uh, Paul's list of you know, being an apostle, a missionary. I've been shipwrecked, snake bit. Yeah, you know. And then I'm thinking, I've been probed. <laughs> I don't know if that. I don't know if that's the same level as snake bit. Well, but. Uh, you survived. You live to tell about it. Yeah. And you're going back. Yeah, which is, that's the bummer, because I'm thinking, in as I'm, right before Marge has put me to sleep, I'm thinking, well, at least I'll never have to see any of these people again. Fake news. And if I do, they won't recognize me, because, you know, they weren't looking at my face anyway. <laughs> uh, but now, and I'm like, I don't know if it'll be the same team, or if I got a whole different team, or... Yeah, how's But that at work? some point, I'm, I'm guessing I gotta go back in there and get rolled over and probed by aliens that, you know... Apparently get paid pretty well for it. Oh man, <laughs> is that T? We've definitely we've definitely wandered into the TMI. So you young people out there uh, going to third world countries, uh, 
don't drink the water. This was not at all in my show notes for starting this. I, I planned so, this ahead of time. So you would. Oh, man, I am just rolling over here. So, so you made it through. Glad you're back. We are back. We wrapped up What's True About You teaching series. Nine months of in Romans. the book of Romans. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we started that last August. And, uh, man, it's been so good. Uh, nine months is a is a fairly long time to go through a book. However, I mean, See, we did we did a book of what was a revelation. Yeah, in a year and a half. So we actually, yeah. I mean, it's it is and it isn't right. I mean, it, here's the thing: it's not it, it's a long time to go through a book if you're not going through the book. Um, a lot of times when a church does a, a series on a, a book, they're going to do like a little passage here or that, but they'll they'll eventually do four or five sermons out of it. But if you're going to go through the book. It's going to take some time, especially Romans. Um, oh, yeah. If anybody were to ask me, like, like the question of, like, if you were left with only one book, if you had to choose one book out of the 66, so, like, which is true in a lot of countries like China because they don't have whole Bibles, so they're, you know, like, if you could only choose one book, like, I, I have to think it would be, be Romans because mm. Paul sews up everything so beautifully about the human condition, about our need for a savior, about why grace isn't just a good way, it's the only way. Yeah. Um, he's, he talks about how uh, we as a church then, based upon, uh, if, if you really are saved by grace and not by works, then how would you live if that were true? And, and that's those last few chapters we just finished up, is how do we do it individually, in, in a church, in a country, in a government, all those things are all dealt with through the eyes of saved by grace. So we could have probably taken a lot longer. Yeah, well, I mean, I think my biggest takeaway from this this past nine months was just how applicable the book of Romans is to this modern day yeah. humanity that, that the humans haven't changed much in 2,000 years. Yeah, if, if there is any takeaway from Romans, it's not that Paul was a prophet, it's that he was a historian. Yep. Um, when people read C.S. Lewis or Tolkien, um, they're like, man, how did they know that hmm. what was what was going to be happening today? And the answer is they didn't. They were just writing what they were experiencing, and what they're experiencing is the human condition. Romans chapter one. Um, and so the reason that Paul wrote something so relevant is that it's relevant because of humans, not because of the time we're in. And so this yeah. idea that we are progressing as a species, as humans, the Joe Rogan one one that we're we're progressing, we're evolving, and the you know you hear these guys talk about well, so why are we I thought we'd be further along than this by now if we were, you know, this evolved species. And, and the answer is because we're not evolving. Yeah. We are still at the core of who we are, uh, sinful people in need of a savior. Yeah, and digressing perhaps, like going the opposite direction, seemingly. Well, it's the, it's the cycle, like it's Romans 1. Yeah. Um, the idea of progress in the humanity has always been I get to do more things that I want to do and the irony being that violating the code of the way you're designed doesn't take you forward. It takes you backwards. Mm -hmm. And so when you get to the end of Romans 1, it's like you're worshiping the creation and not the creator, which means you're going to look more like the creation and not the creator. Mm -hmm. And so when you hear someone talk about, you know, a, a human is just another animal, as a mammal that has consciousness, um, it's not accurate. But if that's what you think you are, you end up with, uh, you know, someone taking a dump in Johnny Depp's bed. Yeah, well, you got that going on right now, too. Sorry. I'm a little punchy, apparently. <laughs> Current news. Can you say that on the radio? Current news. But, but I mean, that's, I mean, I don't know. Uh, I've told you, like, Johnny Depp lost me at, like, Gilbert Grape. So I really haven't been, like, a, a Johnny Depp guy. But, you know, from what I've read and seen of this trial, um, Whatever side anybody falls on, you you have to at some point say, wow, these guys, this is Romans 1. I'm going to live however I want to live. I'm going to be free to do whatever I want to do, worship whoever I want to worship. And you end up acting more like the animals that you are worshiping than the creator of the animals. You look less like your creator and more like the creation. And not just because someone, you know, dropped a deuce in the bed, but just in general, the behavior of, of hatred and violence. If you've ever been out in the... Uh, in the woods or see nature. I mean, just dogs for that matter. Like your neighborhood dogs, you get the nice one, you get that mean one that comes along and wants to chew everybody up. Like the, at the core of creation, it is a, a survival 
uh, of the fittest in uh, in nature itself. Like they're going to kill each other. The, the the strong one wants to breed, so he's going to kill the rest of the you know the babies and. The, and if you think, okay, I'm going to look at that as like in society, that's Romans 1, and that's our society as well. The more free we think we are, the more imprisoned we actually are. And kind of along those lines, too, is uh, the new book that just came out, Johnny the Walrus, talking about being animals. So, so I've, not, I've not got my copy yet. <laughs> I've, I've, it's so funny. I've, I've used to, like... So Johnny the Walrus is a book, a children's book written by Matt Walsh. Okay. And um, it's this, it's a simple little story about a boy with a big imagination. He pretends to be a dinosaur, and then he pretends to be a knight in shining armor, and then he pretends to be a walrus. And, and it kind of just walks through the journey of him trying to figure out what he wants to be. And, um, and at the end of the day, you know, he realizes he can't live life as a, as a walrus. You know, because he's a he's a, a young boy that's been made to be a little boy and, and do boy things. Yeah. Um, and so, anyways, it's uh, it's a little bit of satire, a little bit of comedy, but it's kind of like this children's book, um, written with this idea of you are created who you are, who you are. Yeah. Like this identifying thing of you are exactly who you were created to be. And somehow this is controversial, it right? It's controversial. I, so I didn't know about the book, which is sort of the irony when when uh, one side or the other for that matter like makes a big stink about something. Like it actually doesn't like you know, they call it the Barbara Streisand effect, right? They someone talked about her house and where it was located, but she, and she wanted to sue them to keep them from saying it where it was. Right. Which meant it got in every newspaper across the country. So the Streisand effect is that it's the exact opposite. Yeah. Because uh, I, I wake up and my little newsfeed is full of Johnny the Walrus uh, stuff talking. I'm like, I literally have no idea what they're even talking about, but now I do. Yeah, so the da- Daily Wilder published it, sent it to Amazon, and it went to number one um, across their books and specifically into the LGBT book category, uh, of which now the woke mob is absolutely furious Including Amazon because it's been pushed through Amazon, and so the Amazon employees um, are are very frustrated, and they're trying to get categories. So they're living. <laughs> they're they're they It's interesting because the 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 woke side. And I always hate using that term, but I don't know how else to describe it. They're frustrated that this book is falling outside of the boundaries in which they have created these categories mm-hmm. for books, yet. They are trying to disassemble any and all categories as it pertains to gender. Right. The irony is so delicious, and it's it's, in, it's actually Matt's entire point of this entire exercise, which I guess is, um, and maybe that's why they. I mean, you know, when the guys at Daily Wire, they probably intentionally put it in that category when they signed it up, um, because it, I, I, it's like when you hear the controversy of that, like this is actually. It's really not that controversial of an idea that, again, when I was eight years old, I wanted to own a semi-truck, a chimpanzee, and I wanted to fight crime. <laughs> like, that was BJ and the Bear. Like, I wanted to be that. And I genuinely wanted to do that. But at some point, I had to realize that, you know, chimps uh, will bite your face off and that, uh, you know, driving a semi is not as glamorous as it appeared on BJ and the Bear. And I had to get, you know, I had to get identify as what I was, you know, and... um and I guess that that's the, the thing that's, that shouldn't be controversial is, and you go back to Romans 1, that that's just like I, on the one hand, I feel angry and I feel oh, furious, right? But I, what I really feel, I think, is fear that when I see uh, our society on that Romans 1 path, like I just don't know where we are. I, th- I think I know where we are, which is the last part of Romans 1. Um, and then, you know, think, back to Romans, like the, the, what we get to do about that Romans too, which is you who are, you know, been saved of so much, you don't, you, you're not hammering them to judge them for this. You have been saved from so much, so have empathy. And so somewhere between the empathy and the compassion for, uh, I'm with you, the word woke has it's, it's come to mean so much that it almost doesn't mean anything, but I don't know what other word to use um, for it, that Jesus loves them too. Jesus wants to save them too. Uh, so I, that's combined with, I also don't want that ideology being put into children 
in a school that you can be whoever you want to be if you're feeling like a, a little girl but you're a boy, I, you know, that's it shouldn't be, it isn't controversial. That I don't want you saying that to my child. I don't want you yeah. teaching my kids that. Especially funded by tax dollars. Yes. Public tax dollars. Yeah, so one of the ironies that I've been sort of exploring in my head this past month is that on the one hand, the progressive secular humanist crowd is doubling down. In fact, there's a case before the Supreme Court right now of a coach that was fired because he was praying with his team in Washington State. And so I'm, I'm hearing these liberal, the, the vox of the world, saying this is dangerous because this First Amendment, they shouldn't be forced to hear this. But what they're talking about is so ironic because the idea that, a, that I could today decide to be a, a girl and dress as a woman for the rest of my life, and you have to call me a woman now, there is no scientific, no biological, no physiological evidence for that. Any, there is no science behind it. It's a belief. It's a religion. So on the one hand, that category wants to say that, they, that this belief, this religion can be taught to my children without my consent, and at the same time, they don't want to coach praying because it's someone, their belief, they don't want to encroach on theirs. Mm-hmm. It's a literal reversal yeah. of, but just because it's, you know, uh, they, they would say that, it, I mean, I've actually heard, I mean, a couple of um, very unconvincing Radio Lab episodes where they were trying to convince of the biology behind this. And at the end of it, I'm going, There's, you guys didn't do any biology. There's no science here. You are literally concocting a belief you're you're basically trying to retrofit psychology onto physiology in a place that it doesn't fit and as a country so i guess that's the, the the delicate dance we do is that you know i, I know this and that's and maybe this is the segue into what we're doing now as far as the, this next series more than name that a church like i don't know the extent of the role of a church in this world i don't pretend to know that other than I do know this, that our job is to continue to speak truth in love in the face of what, whatever else, that we have to speak truth and we get to speak truth. It's a privilege to speak truth and to be able to say that God created them male and female, man and woman, like that, that's, that's truth. I, I could whiteboard it out. We could physiologically go through the chromosomes. Like it's the Bible does not contradict science on this matter, and science does not contradict the Bible. Speaking truth, no matter how controversial it is, is one of the most important. It's what Jesus did. Spoke truth, and it got him killed. Yes, and so if you missed anything that we taught through the book of Romans, if you're just now kind of tuning into the podcast or just now you know, being a part of Conduit Church— you can go back and find all of our different podcasts, deeper podcasts, and the teaching series uh, on our website, and you know, obviously through this podcast. And so, as we have now moved forward, um, you alluded to it a little bit, but yes, more than a name is this next sermon series. It's just a simple four-week series um, with Mother's Day kind of um, splashed in the middle of that, but a four-week series that's really kind of talking about the DNA and the culture the um, the purpose, values, mission, vision of Conduit Church. Um, and specifically, though, kind of answering the question that we get fairly often is, why, why did we name, why did you name <laughs> this church Conduit Church? Yeah. What an odd name. When I first mentioned this name to my wife, um, we were still the Bible study. And she said, but isn't that like a contraceptive? Conduit. <laughs> I was like, no, no, babe, no. Like a, it's like a pipe, like conduit, like pipe. Um, oh, no. <laughs> but I, I know. But it was genuine. Like she genuinely, did, you know, it was a genuine conversation. <laughs> and it was like, well, maybe we, maybe we should call it something else. Um, at the time when we first formed this thing that would later become Conduit Church, I just felt like that what the Lord had called us to do as this little Bible study slash mission organization, we didn't we didn't even know what we were, um, was to be a conduit of his resources. That was the initial idea was 
I, I live in Middle Tennessee, and even a Starbucks barista makes infinitely more money than a child in Haiti whose parents are selling, you know, flip-flops at the market. And the idea that a Starbucks barista could give $10 of their income and that family could eat for two weeks. And to me, that was a mind-blowing idea. And so when it came time to realize, I guess we probably need to figure out what we're going to call this thing because we we needed to file some paperwork because people were starting to give a little bit more and asking about tax deductions. And conduit was the name that I just, it just came up out of me. And, uh, and I, it's so funny because if I'd have known it was a church, I don't think we would have made, I don't think we would have called it that at the time. And now I wouldn't call it anything else. Yeah. Um, cause it's what it was supposed to be. And at the same time, I think that we called it conduit church. Um, I didn't know it was a church, which is amazing because I would not have had the courage to make the decisions we made had I have known that it was a church. It was like God had like blinded me like Pharaoh for three years so that by the time we realized we had accidentally started a church, I couldn't back away from, uh, at that point it was Haiti and Togo, Africa were the two main places that we were investing in children and schools. And I couldn't undo that. We couldn't ask those kids to take a, (laughs) call their moms and say, hey, can you take a uh, pause on your crisis while I start a church and then we'll get back to you in a few years when we have enough resources. We We had to start as a conduit which meant every decision we made, every decision from chairs to sound system to trailer, we had to take in consideration that this is, um, this thousand dollars that we're gonna spend on this means that we can't spend it on that. And so we, you know, we had to make decisions that were very seriously uh, skewed. And I couldn't go out and raise the $150,000 that you're supposed to get when you start a church, um, go rent the building and all that. We didn't have any money to do that. We were too busy trying to keep kids alive. Yeah, and for those that may be new to Conduit into this podcast, the, the the history kind of behind this is that it started as a simple Bible study. What like two thousand eight ish? Yeah, um, it was a Bible study. Two thousand seven. Two thousand seven, two thousand eight. You were at that time, you know, managing a um, a stable of artists in the Christian music industry, and you know, artists tour, and so they're they're gone on the weekends. It's not like they attend a local church on Sundays, right? And so this was an outlet for local artists to um, to go to church on a Tuesday night Bible study style, and the, something that you you had began to lead mm-hmm. um, that started off super simple with just a handful of folks. Yeah, it was, um, and simplicity was uh, was everything to us because I had a job. Yeah, right. I didn't have, have a day job. I didn't have time to do a fifteen hour sermon prep. You're running a company. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I had a job. Um, on payday, it was called Get to Payday, which is when right. I got to pay everybody but me. Um, but yeah, I didn't have time for that. But uh, the simplicity was this: like, I'm I've been a Bible nerd since I was a kid. Um, other people have hobbies like fishing. For some reason, I was obsessed with like, wait a minute, what is Habakkuk trying to say here? You know. Um, so all I did was I would just literally just on that Tuesday night recount what I was already reading that week. And this is what I learned this week. And that was about the extent of it. Yeah. Um, but, but it was born out of, to your point, out of the idea that um, we had a generation of young artists who had grown up in attractional churches. And in an attractional church, the Sunday is targeted towards uh, people who don't believe or who are on the periphery of believing. And so it's all about not being too offensive and not going too deep and not uh, ostr- you know, ostracizing or isolating someone who doesn't feel comfortable in the, in, the, in the hopes that we could reach them and win them to Jesus. Uh, and then discipleship will happen the rest of the week. And what we all know is that that's not how that works. You, right. There is no rest of the week. This is it. So we had an entire generation of young artists who were, this is a sweeping statement, by the way, but biblically illiterate. Um, so, so many of the young artists now that you see that are now 38 to 40 that are renouncing their faith didn't necessarily have a foundation of faith to renounce to begin with because they and they they get on the road so they've grown up in an attractional church then they get on the road and there's no there's no biblical teaching on the road by the time they get home and and then simultaneously I got someone like Greg Laurie saying hey Darren yeah like I really want them to really just bring the gospel on this thing and and I'm saying Greg you really don't want them to bring the gospel on this one <laughs> you want them to just shut up and sing 
and let the trained professionals do this because they don't necessarily know the gospel. And there was a point where I'm thinking, okay, look, I can't, I'm my me perpetuating this. I'm being part of the problem and not part of the solution. And one of the yeah. clients I had that sh- like they knew the gospel, they knew. Uh, they knew the Bible. They knew the they knew the difference between Jonah and Noah. You know, both of them involved water, but that's all I know, pretty much. Sure. Uh, but they knew the difference, and I realized they the thing that differentiated them was they grew up uh, in a church is it called Applegate Christian Fellowship, and all that guy does uh, is teach through the Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So that's what we thought. We're just going to go through the Word Tuesday nights. That's what we're going to do. And if any money comes in, we're going to use it to help our friends in Haiti. I had a company. I didn't need a paycheck. Didn't uh, we didn't need the money. Um, we weren't rich by any means, but I, it wasn't a, why we were doing it. And that was where the word conduit came from. And then I realized later, conduit wasn't just a name of the thing. It was a description of what we were as people, even rivers of living water, John seven will flow from within you. Um, you're a conduit of the Holy spirit. And when the Holy spirit comes through money is one of the things that washes out, uh, but it's not just money. That's just a that's just social justice, and all that does is give you a sandwich and no hope. Holy Spirit coming through, you're going to get hope, and then oh hey, you know your water's not born again, so we're going to give you a new well. We're going to give you education. We're going to give all those things as well. Yeah. So the the Bible study began to grow and grow, and you kind of stumbled into um, realizing that okay, you know if we've got eighty to hundred people showing up for a Bible study, it's probably not just a Bible study. And this is more of a a church body yeah. that has been assembled. <laughs> I mean, I suppose it should have been obvious, honestly. I mean, uh, but it was not obvious, nor apparent. But it's not like you set out to go plant a church and oh, raised a Lord, bunch of money. No. It's like, okay, no. we're a part of this denomination. We're going to go plant a church in this in this uh, unreached area of Middle Tennessee. That's not at all oh, the journey that led no, to this. No, no, Lord, no. Like, it was so different than that. It was like, I thought we'll just keep doing this forever. Um, but at that point, like three years in, um, I'm traveling more to Africa and, and Haiti. And I've got artists. So I'm like in a hammock in West Africa on my Blackberry trying to get a signal so I could text the Cutlass guys to, you know. And they're paying me 15% of their income to be their manager, not to be sure. an absentee landlord. And so um, it was growing and the church uh, and and the 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 company was growing we were actually having like the best years of our life yeah um and so i i I, we had come to an intersection and i wasn't sure uh what we were doing other than at that point actually probably 2009 i was sure which is that um i'm going to keep this company there's no way i mean i had i had employees man i couldn't just go out and put in a two-week notice at the sandwich shop like i had to extricate myself from a very complex situation but by 2010, it was, um, I feel like the way that God leads us, especially for something like this, is it just becomes apparent. Like, I don't know how else to say it. Like, the peace, let the peace of God rule in your heart, like, and he will lead you. Like, it's, I just felt this weird peace about something I should have never felt any peace about at all, which was that this thing was a, a church, which meant I was pastor, which I still sometimes struggle over that word. And I didn't know what else that meant other than that. Um, and by 2010, uh, I, I initiated paperwork with uh, my domestic business partner at the time, and he bought my half of the company. Uh, and we, yeah, we started, sometimes we call it starting a church, but what we really did was we just admitted we were a church, and then we invited grown-ups. Uh, to come on Sundays, and that was about it. It's interesting that you struggle over the word pastor because if you just change it to shepherd, uh, which is the same thing, you you'd been shepherding all along and didn't really realize you were doing that. Like the artist manage artist management world is very much shepherding. Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of sheep to be shepherded. It really is, dude. That was um, that was a pretty big awareness piece for me, uh, which was. I'd never even considered that idea. Yeah. But it was like Moses when God was calling him and he had all these excuses of why I can't do this. Uh, I can't speak well. That's me. I, you know, I'm not articulate. That's me. Um, I, but at one point, God's answer to him was, what's in your hand? Mm-hmm. 
And what was in his hand was a staff, which was his shepherd. Moses had just spent 40 years in the wilderness. He knew that desert like the back of his hand. He knew how to keep animals alive, dumb animals. But the idea of us being sheep as Jesus people is not a compliment. As a guy that has owned sheep in my life, these are the dumbest animals. They're like a turtle with fur. Like they just are dumb. They fall on their back. They can't get up. It's like, um, but in his hand was the staff and God was telling him, look, I literally just prepared you for 40 years to do this. And I'm looking, oh, what's in my hand? I just spent 40, well, not 40 years, at that point, almost 20 years shepherding young artists, um, helping them unpack the ministry, the calling they had in their life, talking them through their first breakups, their their engagements, their babies being born. And, uh, you know. That's right. I was I was already doing it. I just didn't know it. I was, uh, I guess in some weird ways, you had to, I had to take a pay cut because I was getting 15%, but a church <laughs> only gets 10, so. That's funny. Well, you know, we had met in 2004, and then uh, yeah. over, over the course of a few years, you know, I don't know if you remember saying this, but um, at one point you had said, "Hey, you know, Mo, if you ever moved to Nashville, we should probably consider you know working together." I 100% remember that. And um, at the time, I had no interest in moving to Nashville, and little did I know that my wife had been praying very diligently that we would someday move to Nashville. <laughs> and mm. so, um, around 2009, I remember calling you. Mm-hmm. It was fall of 09. I don't know why I remember these dates, but you probably remember like what weird Pax Two Seventeen song had come out during that time. Uh, I called you and I said, "I said, Darren, we're, we actually have a sign in the yard. We're moving to Nashville. We'd love to grab dinner and talk about, you know, what it could look like, uh, you know, living in the same town and maybe working together and some ideas." And and I, you said this. You said, "I can't believe you're calling. You're literally on a list of people to call to let know." And I'm resigning from my company. I 100% remember this. And starting a church. And can't wait to grab dinner and talk about it. <laughs> like, wait, what? You're doing what? Because you held that pretty close to the to the sleeve there. Like, you you weren't telling anybody. No, 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 no. Because. Because you still had clients. You still had a business to run. Yeah. Like, the day that I. So, when we, when we told the clients. Um. I was actually out the week before that. I was out riding horses with Larry, the crazy horse guy, mm-hmm. uh, in the Big South Fork, and we were coming back. And I was actually late. We got it, we got out of we got out of the mountains late and all that, uh, but which was a big deal because my business partner, who was very gracious and sometimes not because I didn't deserve it, but um, was sitting there in the office with disciple waiting for my butt oh, to get no. back um, because we had basically the thing was we knew that once I started telling anybody that I, the the fuse was lit. Sure. So we had 24 hours to tell. So I had like meetings uh, lined up with every one of our clients, yeah. uh, conference calls or in the office or whatever. And uh, if I remember right, this was before I had had those meetings, if I remember. Maybe it was right after. Because that was no. fall of 2009. Yep. It was right there during that time. And um, and then fast forward, you know, six months, we moved to town March of 2010. And the first service Conduit ever had, official church service, was Easter 2010. Uh, at Independence High School, which was the first weekend that we actually lived, moved to town and needed a church to go to on Easter Sunday. And so we come walking in Easter Sunday, 2010, Conduit's first service, and I've been here ever since. And so that's 12 years. So Micah was, how old were you, Micah? You would have been eight. Yeah, you would have been eight years old at the time. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that was, um, first of all, I wasn't as scared as I should have been. Uh <laughs> I should have been terrified, but I was back in, I'd been back and forth from Haiti. I just didn't have any time. The earthquake had happened. I didn't have any time to be scared. Uh, but I do remember, like, I remember when you, your name went on that list of, I had envisioned, for those that don't know, Mo managed bands like I did, and we toured together, and Mo was always the guy asking all the right questions that I didn't have the answers to. Um, and I actually appreciate that. Like, that was, because it meant he was protecting his artists. It meant he was, you know... Uh, the young manager that didn't call me at all, their artists were going to be in trouble because that means they weren't. Their managers were not looking out for their day to day stuff, um, and and I remember thinking, even then, I wondered if what I had in mind because I, I knew at that I, at that point when I said that to you, we ever come to town and work together. Obviously, I was thinking of you know, the music industry, um, and so I, I just wondered, you know, if at some point. If this church would ever survive, if you were, if that was what I originally, if the, I felt like the Lord had said something there, sure, I, I didn't have a yeah. thus saith the Lord, 
But if that's what he meant, and it turns out it, it is what he meant, because you came on board. I mean, you were you guys were all in from the from day one, mm-hmm. like just all in. Um, but there was was it three years after that that you started part time because we couldn't afford yeah. full time. Yeah, yeah, it was about three years, three and a half years. Yeah, because when we came from Ohio, I was you know Jennifer and I were doing student ministry, and we had, we had helped launch a church back in Ohio, and we did student ministry for a decade, and so this wasn't like foreign to us. Uh, in fact, it's something we wanted to run from. <laughs> My poor wife is like, <laughs> "Do not blame you. <laughs> we cannot do this again. Please, let's not do this again." Um, but we, man, we just we fell in love with the fact that it was called Conduit Church, and the the mission and the vision behind it was different than anything we had experienced before, um, and the the action that was behind it, the the offensive nature, not in a bad way. Like we were on offense for the kingdom. Like we were going yeah. to go do something. It was active and living. Um, and that was inspiring for us and something we could totally get behind because uh, it just felt, felt different and felt inspired. You know, you say that, that was especially, especially in the early days, we were like a haven for, guys that had been in either full-time or part-time ministry and girls for that matter too, ladies um, who were on the bench for one reason or another. And uh, part of me was like, like, what are you guys doing here? Like, you know what? But I think that there was something to the idea that we were not like, I didn't intentionally set out to do just like stick it to the man punk rock. Like I just, I just knew I didn't want to grow old in a church I hated. And on the other hand, you know, not to make me sound noble, because I really wasn't. It was just we couldn't do this the the normal way. Because again, I had kids. I knew their moms. I know their names. I couldn't just forget that, especially after an earthquake. And uh, it turns out that's actually the idea that Jesus had in mind for a church to begin with. Like yeah. one of the things I said on Sunday is that I'm seeing a lot, and if you think about it, you might be seeing it as well, of brothers and sisters who have left their denomination for one reason or another. And they are, uh, the, like the Anglican church in America is quietly growing with former, and I would, they wouldn't call themselves former evangelicals, by the way, but like people that would have normally gone to like a con, whatever, conduit church, just like put us in that. Um, but they are finding some sort of solace in the the liturgy, the Book of Common Prayer, the smells and the bells, and the and, and what they're saying is that um, if you talk to them, well, we want to go back to the simplicity of the early church, and the, so they yeah. they're saying Anglican because uh, uh, the Anglicans actually make a case that they were they have a, dr- a direct line to Peter is what they will say, mm-hmm. um, or some I might get be getting that wrong, but they'll say some version of that. Um. And so I understand that, but I feel like if you're going to go back, go back. Yeah. Go to Acts 2.42. Mm-hmm. Go to Jesus in Matthew 16. The first time he ever said the word church, mm-hmm. what was his vision for his church, not my church? I still bristle when people say, oh, you go to Darren Tyler's church. No, they don't. They go to Jesus. He's a pastor here. I, I have a role, but it is not my church. Uh, there's, by the way, a lot of freedom in that, like, Absolutely. Jesus is funding this thing. Jesus, if you don't want to keep, if you don't want to fund this anymore, then that's up to you. Um, but Jesus in Matthew 16, that very famous, infamous passage on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Like baked into that statement uh, is a word ecclesia. And ecclesia means called out. It was a uh, it's a very, like, it's verb. It's not noun as much. It is a noun, but it's got a very verb tendencies to it. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it spoke of this idea that this was not a fortress to be protected, but a force to be deployed. That we, his church, was not going to lock ourselves behind walls and protect ourselves from inside the walls. So our job was to go to the enemy's walls and kick down the gates because they will not prevail against us. I love that. Yeah, it's it's about being proactive than reactive. And um man, did that play out in 2020 or what? Right. I mean, how how uh how much work got done for those that uh were a force to be deployed. I mean, there was work to be done in 2020. There's still work to be done. But those that retreated and kind of locked 
locked down, locked themselves in, man, uh, what a missed opportunity for the church. And people are still reeling from that. And they will be for a long time. Um, we were not meant to be locked up in the fortress. Um, whatever you want to say about a church and a gathering, whatever, you know, uh, uh, what we were not meant to be was isolated, separated, and locked up at home. Um, because what was coming on our planet because of these secular humanist policies was a, it's catastrophic what's happened and what's happening and what will still be felt for years. We, we literally lost 10 years worth of progress in financial situation in the developing nations just because of these restrictions. That doesn't even begin to cover what's happening with inflation, with the, the war in Ukraine, with the fact that the United States printed like trillions of dollars making our, our dollar, if, you know, soon to be worthless. The last thing that the world needs right now is a, is a scared church. Uh, you know, Tozier said, it, you know, a fearless, a scared world needs a fearless church. Yeah. And courageous is what Jesus is describing here. Uh, because if you remember, like during the March of 2020, like you know, there was the, there's the question of okay, look, if the only thing that we're giving is a really great worship experience and a pretty mediocre sermon, like that, that can be you can do that online. You don't need to sure. go if that's the quote unquote product that a person is experiencing in the way that the product of the grocery store's groceries or you know Applebee's you get you know whatever you're getting. Uh, if our product is the sermon and the worship, then we could stay home and get that. Uh, but that's not the product of the church. It's at least that's not the one that Jesus described. He had a vision for a church that was very active and very um, aggressive, actually. Like not just sitting back and wa- waiting for the enemy to come to us. We're taking the fight to the enemy. Sidebar: When's the last time you went to an Applebee's? <sighs> Neighborhood Bar and Grill. Um, do they still exist? Are they actually <laughs> open? <laughs> the one in, the one in town went out of business, so I I, I don't even know where that word came from my mind. It hasn't been an Applebee's. It's the song. It's got popular from the song. Neighbor, I'm, I'm sure it's still baby popular. back baby back ribs. Is that their yeah. song? Well, that was what's his name song. It made popular with the dance. Oh, your buddy, bougie like Applebee's. Yeah, there you that's go. right. Maybe that's where it came from. Yeah, because I for sure haven't been to an Applebee's. No, I can't remember the last time. But in, in terms of lockdowns, um, I mean, there's still it's still a major issue. I I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming you know. What's happening in China right now is round two of lockdowns. It is a major issue. There was a report that went out this morning talking about a fifth, one-fifth of the world's container ships are currently stuck in Shanghai. Um, That is going to be a problem in about six months. Um, What are the chances... This is complete conjecture on my part. Yeah, why not? Because so you know, yesterday, Doctor Fauci, I use the word doctor extremely, still around? extremely loosely. I know somebody let him out for a minute to say something, and they locked him back up. Um, is saying that we are at the we're past pandemic phase in an interview. We're we're not in the pandemic anymore. Endemic is he. He didn't even go there because they were the, the interviewer was trying to pin him on that. He said once the pandemic was over, that's when he'll retire. So they were like, "Is the headline that the pandemic is over? You're retiring?" And they're like, "No, no, there's no headline. I'm not. I'm, they're going to have to drag his dead body out of there. He ain't going anywhere. He's enjoyed this power way too much." But so so put that in one pocket. There's two. When I look at China, there's two questions that I'm thinking. Okay, hey, do they know something about this virus that we don't? Like if it's cooked up in a lab over there, or if it fell out of a lab, what do they know about this virus? that we don't because literally the rest of the world has moved on and China is partying like it's March 2020 or are they doing this intentionally as a weapon against the United States to starve our supply chain under the guise of a pandemic so that it's not an act of war it's an act of health but they're because they're you're exactly right I didn't see that the one-fifth that's a lot that's a major like problem. a lot and there is literally no medical, no scientific, no biological, no epidemiological reason for them to do what they're doing, because there is no end game to zero COVID. There is none. No. Because the world is not locked down, so COVID's not going away. So they can do all they want in China, but they're just kicking a can down the road for the virus to come back. And somebody there either is, either this is a demonic blinding. Yeah. 
of a nation, or this is a proactive, still demonic, I might add, yep. you know, calculated move on the part of Xi Jinping to starve the United States. Man, there's a lot of moving parts right now. And, and I know it's what's the challenge for us, too, is that because most of middle America, southern um, United States especially, has moved on. I just go look at a baseball game or football stadiums. Um, it's it's easy to just check out and think that things are just rolling right back to normal, but there is so much happening globally <laughs> that we still have to pay a lot of attention to. Specifically, what's happening in China? I know it's opposite side of yeah. the world, and so it's hard to pay attention to all the nuances of what's happening. Besides the fact that yes, Russia and Ukraine are still going at it, and it's actually intensifying yeah. it's not being talked about yeah um there's neighboring countries that are now being involved such yeah. as you know belarus and belarus um yeah belarus belarus moldova is in the middle of this right now too i don't know if you've seen what's happened in that yeah in the past 24 hours um but this china lockdown situation in the global supply chain issue that's about to unleash especially before christmas yeah uh is something to absolutely watch I'm. I mean, I remember. I was. I was actually joking with him last. I don't remember. When, oh, it was it the Mercy Me show? Mark Klassen. Uh, oh man, remember Mark? Oh, he's one of my good buddies. He's so great, right? Love Mark. Mark and I were talking about China like 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, he was the only guy that would listen to my. You know, <laughs> I guess it's because he's booking my artist, and he had to. He had to. He but had he seemed. To. He seemed interested. But. Everything that was that seemed to be happening then, which was China converting their yen yen into U.S. dollars, they stopped doing it. and They started buying up assets. This started 20 years ago. Would, yeah. would become the Silk Road yeah. initiative. They were buying hmm. oil platforms off the coast of Brazil. They were buying up uh, mineral rights in Central America, in Canada, uh, buying up yeah. mineral rights, and they're literally economically invading the world. And up until this year, and this is why I'm wondering if this is a China's history. When you look at the history of the of the Chinese people, um, they were not historically often an aggressive, warring, saddle up your horses and go take over the the nations. Um, they they were very long game, as as just as a people and as a government and as a history, and. At some point, so like in the last 20 years, they couldn't just come over here and nuke us because they actually needed our money to provide their machine. <laughs> right. Like we were literally paying for their. Yeah. But at some point, now that many countries are no longer using the U.S. dollar, now that we got, you know, and this is not just a Biden thing. This was under the Trump administration, too, printing trillions of dollars so that. Uh, we could get through this pandemic. Meanwhile, China did not, uh, they literally bought hundreds of millions of doses of, or at least millions of doses of the Pfizer vaccine that they never used. They never used the mRNA vaccine at all. Uh, So what do they know about that that we don't know? And then secondly, now they're locking it down like it's 2020. And it's literally, if they were to say today, we're going to, we're going to paralyze all of your ships. Yeah. And we're going to, like, blockade you into our ports. That's an act of war, and we would be right. dropping bombs. Right. But by doing it this way, yeah, they are uh, economically invading us and strangling our country. And when I say they, I'm speaking specifically of the Chinese government. I'm speaking specifically of Xi Jinping. And I'm also speaking because, you know, the Bible says at some point, Revelation, that there will be a 200-million-man army that will make their way across the Middle East— perhaps on a new highway that they have just built mm-hmm. um, to reach uh, the oil that they're going to need, the minerals that they're going to need. And that cuts across Africa. Yeah, so it, would, so it cuts across the Middle East. Uh, so it would go literally right through Afghanistan, Pakistan. Pakistan, they own the electric grid. Um, it, it, literally Iran, uh, Iraq, right into Syria, Middle East, um, where their ally, Russia... And I say ally very loosely because they're they're like uh, they need each other, but they don't like each other. 
And so, you know, you get your stuff done, Russia, and I'll get our stuff. But they, they do have competing goals at the end of the day. But if they need the tech, if they need the minerals from Africa, they've built deep water ports. This is you could this is like readily available. This is not conspiracy theory stuff. They've no. built a deep water port in Kenya. They're building a highway that reaches from that all the way to northern Uganda, where they're drilling oil. I have driven on this highway um, without firing a shot. And if you think about it, it's pretty smart because you don't sure. want to. If you blow up a nation, like what Russia's doing to Ukraine right now is so foolish. Because if they if they wanted to occupy this place, they've got to rebuild everything they're blowing up. Right. Um, China's not having to do any of that stuff financially. So by strangling again, back to this, I I just wonder if that's because I'm looking at this, the the most brilliant secular humanist mind. There is no two you know two and a half years later, there is no scientific reason to do what they're doing right now. None. Right. So it's either demonic blindness or demonic aggression. Uh, but neither of those end well as far as for our, our world, which brings us back to the Jesus Church. What does a Jesus Church do in a, in a Satan, you know, prince of the power of the air world? And that is that we don't stop. We keep going. If we're broadcasting from a bunker, right? you know, on top of a mountain out in the country of Tennessee on Buford and Jane's land, whatever, uh, we don't stop. We are going to the gates of hell because what we ultimately know is that if that is and i'm if i'm right and whatever's happening is about part of this prophetic eschatological calendar jesus is still in charge of all of that uh and there's a lot of peace to know that whatever we see here jesus already saw jesus has already been there and jesus is with us in this and we have a chance here to not be victims but to be right beside the hero of the story, which is Jesus, as he is ushering in his kingdom on earth. Yeah, to be victors. Victors over victims. That's that's something that we've talked about a lot recently. And, you know, I, I just... I just want us to make sure that, and I, maybe that's why people tune into this podcast sometimes too, just to maybe get a little bit of current events, what's happening around the world, and and filtered through the eyes of what's happening, um, or, or what is explained through the Bible of what could be happening. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, you know, we're, we're definitely not going to stick our heads in the sand um, now that we've all kind of come up for air <laughs> the past year. Yeah. Um, this is actually intensifying globally in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Um, and it behooves us to pay attention. And this is what we're made for, man. Yeah. I mean, this is literally what he's made us for, to be his brothers and sisters in this, like to be co-heirs with Christ in the kingdom. Like uh, we, the reason we don't shrink back is we, we, sh- we don't have to, we have nothing to fear. Uh, the, whatever's coming. And for us, it's one of the reasons, like especially towards the end of Romans, when he talks about unity and, you know, agreeing on things and why it's so important because we're literally, you know, it's, churches are fighting over whether a woman should teach the Bible on a Sunday while, meanwhile, the entire culture right now is wanting to say that your your child can change whatever their gender is and not even have to tell you that the teachers can do that without you. Like, there is there's a gender war. We have the truth. And so to get distracted by little petty fights, that's, I think, why Paul ended Romans like he did. Yeah. There is a real enemy at the, at, at the gate that we can go and attack. So instead of putting ourselves—maybe that's why— Maybe that's why the idea of us being on the front lines, because if you, you know how it is, if you get locked up inside with somebody, you got plenty of time to sit around and figure out everything you disagree with. Um, but if you are on mission together, man, so much of that stuff just falls to the ground. It's true. When there's real danger and there's a real gate of hell in front of you that you get to kick down, that's a real unifying thing. Um, which is, so that's what this week, what we're going to, so we just talked about the vision that Jesus had for his church, which is a proactive, like a force and not a fortress. And so the question is, okay, that's the vision for it. Then what's the mission of it? And it's not that for the longest time it was hard. Like, what is our mission? Do we need a mission statement? I mean, um, because at the end of the day, I, I, I always, I just didn't know. what it does, Do we need a mission or did the church need a mission? Like, did Jesus' church uh, need a mission or did the mission need a church? That's it, saying it right. Because this mission was going to require uh, a group of people locking arms together in unity together that's a church. That's the ecclesia, and so his mission needed a church. We don't we don't just come here on Sundays for something to do, because um, we got plenty to do. 
I think one of the first things that galvanized Conduit Church back in 2010 was a month later after we had met uh, for our Easter Sunday inaugural service, the great flood of yes. Nashville happened. Yes. And, um, and it was massive and it was big and stuff needed to be done. And so you have this little this little church out here in Thompson Station. Yeah, like 150 maybe. Yeah, maybe. kids. Um, we all we 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 automatically had something to do with each other, yeah. locking arms um, to serve our community. Yeah, that it's our first cancellation on a Sunday was not a snow day; it was a flood day. Yeah, and I I remember canceling on Saturday when all the other churches were trying to figure out the bigger. If you're a bigger church, we're, yeah. we're there now, so we have to. It's it, canceling is not so easy. We still will, but it just takes more. Um. But we canceled on Saturday and figured out that one of our guys in our church owned a pool company, uh, Kyle Peak, and which means they had water pumps, lots of water pumps. And so our, that Sunday morning, I, I went to I, I, I was like dressed up like the Gordon's fish guy, like a yellow <laughs> right. rain jacket, whatever, handing out water pumps to Bellevue, right? Uh huh. Yeah. To people whose homes were flooding. Um, that was Sunday, and then yeah, for the next. I don't remember. It felt like months. It was yeah. probably a couple of months. We would gather every day over at the factory, and we'd get a little force together, and we'd go over and help little senior citizens. Like, actually, that first, the second day was when we, uh, I got a call from Carol Weaver and her friend who had just lost her husband, uh, and had their house had caught on fire. They had literally just burned, rebuilt their, their house in Bellevue. Oh, wow. She's a widow. Her house had just been rebuilt after a fire, and now it's underwater. Amazing. Could we find her? Um, and I didn't ask her permission, so I won't say her name, but we, our first day we were over there like wading through waist deep water to get to her house, yeah. uh, with a couple of the rednecks with big Jeep, big tires and mm-hmm. getting helping out senior citizens out of their homes with that their belongings. Wild and, time. But, but that's what a church would do. Like, why would we stay at home? Like we actually can do something about it. And I contend, and I really believe this, that most people in, um, church world, they actually want to do something. They just don't know what to do. And so it is incumbent upon a church leadership to be a part of that. Here's what we can do here. Like, here's what we do. And here's if, you, if you're looking for a place, we can help you find some purpose and meaning in this, in your calling. Uh, we vet the opportunities. We're in the middle of it. But that's if it's just as important as a worship ministry. If I could ever, if, whenever I talk to a young church planner, especially, well, you're figuring out who your worship pastor is, your youth pastor, your kids pastor. Those are all important roles to fill. Every one of them are. Don't forget somebody, whatever you want to call them, who is looking and organizing for mission in the community. Uh, it's every bit as important. Before yeah. there was a worship pastor in the book of Acts, they were feeding widows. Yeah. Um, uh, it's not a church model that I made up. That just was, right. that's the Jesus church. Yeah. Well, man, this is an exciting uh, sermon series, teaching series. Um, it, I love being able to kind of go back and see kind of how we started and know that, man, honestly... <laughs> Honestly, Conduit Church hasn't changed much at all. We've grown in size, uh, but man, like the, the 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 same things that we were passionate about 12 years ago are the same things that we are still passionate about now and still acting upon those things. And, and I, I'm so thankful for that. That's been able to be protected um, along the way. Um, and so as we dive into this, man, we're just, we're, we're excited for, for new folks to, to jump in with us, whether it's you're listening to the pod ta- podcast for the first time, if you're joining with us on a Sunday, man, we're just, we're thrilled to, to be a force that is deployed. Yeah. And the more that we can deploy, the better. Yeah. Um, it's, that part can never, I say can never, will never change because I, I literally go back to the, I don't want to grow old in a church I hate. And I, I will never forget sitting in, you know, church and asking myself, this is not the pastor's fault at all. It's mine. Like, oh, so why are we doing this again? Like, why did we come here? Like, why am I, why am I writing, a, why, writing a check every month? Like, the homeowners, like, what am I doing? Um, that was a legitimate question. Uh, and I don't want to grow old saying, no, why, why am I doing this again? Like, why am I going to all this work to write a sermon for a bunch of people that are going to for, literally forget probably 90% of what I say, 99%? Like, why am I spending all this time on that? And the answer is, well, you know, the answer is uh, $105,000 that we were able to give to the Pregnancy Center of Middle Tennessee. That's right. That's 105,000 reasons yeah. to do this. And that happened in a live gathering where we, Hebrews 10:24, we came together, we inspired one another to love and to good deeds 
forsaking not the assembling yourselves together. Like, yeah. why are we coming together? And that's what I'm going to talk a little bit about that on the Sunday. This is the mission of a church. Now that we're together, now what? Well, it's good to be back, back in the podcast saddle. And we'll be again here next week. Again, you can catch up, get caught up to everything that's happening at Conduit Church at our website, conduitchurch.com. Thank you.